My name is Mandy McKay, and we want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon audio of Sojourn Church. Sojourn is a church that is committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. We hope that this collection of sermons both inspires you and challenges you to live a life of intentionality where you seek to make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our church family, you can go online and check out our website at sojournpdx.org. One quick word of encouragement before we begin this episode's sermon. We at Sojourn absolutely love it that you're tuning in to what God is teaching us here. But more than anything else, we want this podcast to be supplementary to an already growing devotion to your own church body and nothing else. This collection and others like it are great in making God's word to us more available and understandable, but it can never be a healthy substitute for real participation in the body of Christ. Enjoy this sermon. is for people in the community, uh, they really do need this crowd. And then some friends from other churches, they need you to be spiritually healthy. So what I want to talk about tonight is from the book of James. And it's really thinking of a perspective of not necessarily why do I have really bad things happen in my life or why am I going through this, but instead reframing the question and saying, okay, Lord, why not? Why not me? What is it you want to bring out of me? What good are you doing within me for the better of my community and for the better of people that I'm going to be sitting around tables with and, and sharing life with? So I, I, I was thinking, I thought James is a perfect segue before you slide into the sermon series. So the idea of James, here's a simple breakdown, all right? A little summary of what's going on through the book of James. Chapter one is where we're going to be at tonight. And chapter one just kind of sets everything else up for the book of James. Uh, it really just says, this is how we learn to navigate trials or life. Because sometimes life just punches you in the face and you're like, didn't see it coming. And James says, there's a reason for it. Just just wait through it, be patient through it, and you'll learn as you go through the process. Uh, James, uh, in chapter two, it's all about uh, really teaching us how not to show partiality to this person because maybe they have wealth or this person because maybe they are a particular social status. But James is really showing us how to just love people where they are, regardless of where they are. James chapter Chapter 3 talks a lot about our words. If you've ever read James chapter 3, you know, it just gives us a beat down when it comes to watching what we say and communicate to others. Uh, James chapter 4 is about conflict resolution. I don't know about you, but if you've been alive for, you know, any time, you're going to deal with junk and you're going to deal with conflict, right? So James says, here's a better way to think about conflict resolution. And chapter 5 is all about being cautious with wealth and being cautious when we have a, a love of money that develops in our lives. So what James essentially does through the whole book is he says, culture thinks this way about these items of life, but I want to teach you a better way to think about life. So I would highly recommend if you've never read the book of James, read it, man. It's fantastic. So James chapter one is where we'll be tonight. And it's just kind of going through the, the, the why and looking for the deeper meaning of the whys of our life. And I was thinking, Okay, James. Why James? Why in the world would we sit here on this day and listen to some dude named James all these years ago who wrote this book? What credibility does he have in any way, shape, or form of his life? Well, we know... We know that James was the half-brother of Jesus, but we also know up until a particular point in his life that he didn't necessarily follow Jesus. He was around Jesus, but he was kind of like, eh, I don't know. We know that Jesus didn't choose him to be one of the, uh, the original 12 disciples. 
kind of stunk, right? The half-brother of, uh, J- of Jesus. And he's like, eh, not you. And we know that James was a skeptic. You know, James talks about uh, in, in some of the annuals of history and things that we read, we read and learn that James was a pretty big skeptic about all this Christian movement that was going on around him. And I have to think that there's a little bit of that I understand. Because can you imagine for just... Being in his shoes, right? Growing up with Jesus. And Jesus, who is perfect in every single way. I could imagine there was these things that would be thrown out. You know, James, Jesus never gets on a fight or gets in a fight on the playground. It's because he turns the other cheek. You know, Jesus, Jesus eats his broccoli, James. And I could see James being like, that's because he turns it into candy, right? Um, Jesus never complains about going to the synagogue. Why can't you be more like Jesus, James? So... I can imagine there was some tension in the house. So James had some skepticism. Well, I'm not exactly like James, but I was a skeptic. Just tying a little bit of my story so you know who I am before we dive in here. Um, I was, so in high school, I was running from anything that was religious. And I would have called myself a skeptic, but I just labeled myself an atheist for the point of making people stop talking to me about church and Christianity. So I really didn't know what that meant, but I knew that when Christians would come up and try to talk to me and I'd be like, I'm an atheist, they'd be like, oh, okay, we're so sorry, you know, and it kind of worked. So that's kind of how I operated through high school. And it was my senior year of high school. And you know, I've had trials and I've had things that have happened in my life, but the reality of answering that question, why did I go through this, hit home for me for the first time. You see, my best friend, his name was Jack Cornell, and we were all surfers, and that's what we did. Every day after school, we would go and we would surf for hours and hours. And one particular weekend, we were at a condo, and James struggled deeply with depression and, and anxiety, and, and back then, we didn't really understand what all that meant. But on one particular day, uh, Jack was pretty, he was at a low point of his life, and he said, I need you guys to stay back with me. Uh, don't go out, don't surf. I I need people around me. And we were 17 years old, and we said, whatever, man, get over it. You're fine. We're going to go surf. And we did. And we went out there, and for the next six hours or so, we enjoyed the day of surfing. When we came back into the room, I'll never forget this. This was one of those moments that just really shook my life. I opened the sliding glass door to the condo. I walked in, and there was Jack, face down on the floor, needle on his arm, done. And I remember everybody was just in that panic mode, calling parents, calling uh, 911. And I remember I just kind of backed up against the wall. And I was looking at the situation. I just kept going in my head saying, I don't want that to be my story. So the very next day when we had school uh, on that Monday, all those Christians that kept inviting me, there's a handful that you could just tell they were the real deal. They'd probably be sitting in this room right here. You could tell that they were walking with the Lord. I went right up to them and I said, hey, I'm coming to church with you guys. And they said, okay. And I kept on coming to church and kept on coming. And it was that summer after I graduated high school that for the first time in my life, I waved that white flag and I said, Lord, I am done doing this on my own. I am turning my life completely in surrender to you. I didn't understand completely what all that meant then, but the Lord has been taking me through a process, a refining process from that point on. And I can look back at that moment of my life and I could have said, you know, Lord, why me? Why'd you have to take my best friend? Why'd you have to put us through that garbage? But instead I've learned to ask the better question. I've been able to say now, Lord, I know there's a reason. So I'm going to ask what reason, why is it that I went through that so that 
we can speak a different story to the world when they go through that same thing. So that's kind of the, the setup of why James is so intriguing to me, because James didn't remain a skeptic either. James, as a matter of fact, we ultimately know that he became a leader in the church, not only just a leader in the church, but the leader in the church. We know that James is writing this letter to a whole bunch of Christians who were going through the cycle of learning to have their life uprooted and move across to a new land and figure out with a whole bunch of people they don't know how to live. I don't know if anyone in this room can identify with that, but this is who James is writing to. And we know from history that James was actually to the very end of his life all out for Jesus. History says that he was thrown from the top of a temple in town. And after he was thrown from the temple, uh, he was clubbed and he was stoned until the point of death. He became a martyr. And became a martyr because something happened. He went from being a skeptic to saying, I am all in. And here's what James did, and here's what we got to learn. First thing I want to really mention to you tonight is verses 1 through 4. So I want to read these four verses, and I just want you to have this idea of trusting the process of whatever it is in your life. Trust the process of what it is. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So their trials may look a little bit different than some of the trials that we go through in our day-to-day, but nonetheless, we still go through stuff. Now, these guys, they've been scattered from everything that they knew by way of religious persecution. We know that many of them were losing their life on the regular in this particular scenario. So when James says things like, consider it joy when you're going through it because it's producing something good, I can imagine that would have been hard to hear. We can identify with trials. You know, on the minor level, we deal with traffic jams, right? We deal with people that annoy us in, in, in our careers, our coworkers. We deal with the anxieties and depressions of life. We deal with the behind the scenes struggles in our marriages and relationships. And, you know, when we go through these things, the very simple thing is to say, Lord, why am I going through this? Instead, I want to challenge you tonight to say, Lord, why not me? Why not me? Why why shouldn't I go through this? What are you drawing out and what good will come as a result? Because here's the truth. This isn't a giddy, laughing joy that you're going through hard times. This is a joy because you're understanding that maturity is taking place. The Lord is maturing us as we go through it. As a matter of fact, we understand that there's language used in the Bible that talks about in verse 4, he says, there's a refining process that's taking place. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Peter 6, 7 says, the tested genuineness of our faith, it's more precious than gold that perishes. Though it is tested by fire, it may be found to result in praise. So if you've ever seen God gold or silver and the process that's gone through to actually draw the impurities out and get it to the point that we want to accept it. It's a pretty fascinating process. I've seen it a couple of times. They they take it and they put it under this white heat, the, the hottest flame you can get, and they melt that stuff down and they drain out what is called the dross. The impurities in that metal is drawn out. They scoop out the dross, they throw it away, and they go back through the refining fire with that metal 
again, and they continue to draw out the dross. And the end result, now this is where it's really cool, the end result of what they're looking for is the silversmith would be able to look at that finished product and see his own reflection in that particular metal, that silver. Now, I want you to think about the spiritual connection there because that is exactly what it is when we're going through life. The end result is that when we are viewed, the reflection of our life is not a life that's been made about me, but it's a reflection of the life that has been made about Jesus Christ. And people go, I get it. That is our reflection. One of my best friends, he always says this line. Every time I'm like in a little pity party, he'll look at me, he'll go, well, there's no shortcuts to experience. If you want to be purified, if you want to be mature, then you've got to go through some junk. And I think every single one of us can identify in this room that sometimes we just got to go through some junk in life. But there is good because the refining process, it's not just about the wrong behavior. You know, it's not just making moralistic people better. It's it is doing that, but underneath that wrong behavior is usually a layer of wrong beliefs about God and about who we are as people, and that's the process. It draws that out and causes us to begin to look more like Jesus. As you go through the process, you know, there's, it's easy to have a wrong perspective when you go through it, and it's easy to say things like, God just wants me to be happy. It's easy for us to say that God doesn't want his people to have painful experiences. It's easy for us to say God wants me to have all the money and everything that I need. But that's a wrong perspective of life. Because what the end result of our life is, is God wants us to be holy. And whatever it takes to make us holy, that is what the Lord is stirring and moving in each of our lives. So tonight, it's about having the right perspective. It's kind of like baking a cake. I'm not a good cake baker. I am not a good baker person. But I think about it like this. There's some good ingredients, right? We like sugar. Uh, we like some eggs. There's some weird ingredients that you put into cakes. You put in the flour and and you put in the butter and all of that stuff. Now, usually you don't individually like eating some of those. You don't usually grab a ball of flour and just like start stuffing it down and say that is delicious, right? But as you add all the uh, ingredients in, the good stuff, the bad stuff, you put in the oven at a nice 375 and bake until golden brown and it pops and you do the little toothpick test and you're like, dang, that is good, right? We like the end result, but we've got to let the ingredients do the work, right? And over time, we experience that in our life. Second thing, verses 5 through 12. As we're going through it, I want you to realize that this day and the things that we go through matter for that day because the Lord is creating within us a dependency on him. He wants us to finish with joy. So how we handle the in-between, it matters. Verse 5 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial." 
For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So James gives us some wisdom in this chapter. First thing in verse 5, he says, above everything, before you go through it, remember to pray. And I would say that to us. It's such a simple spiritual discipline that's so easy to forget. You get busy, you're running, and sometimes you just have to hit pause on life and just say, Lord, I need to rest in you. So James says, do that first, because verses 6 through 8 are a reminder of what happens when we're people of prayer. It says, as we pray and as we ask the Lord, God gives us wisdom. And we understand that when we ask for wisdom, we're saying, God, I recognize that you're doing something. You're up to something. I'm just simply asking you for the wisdom to help me see what it might be as I go through it. You know, it never says, pray or ask when you're going through a tough time and everything bad is going to go away, it just simply says you're going to get wisdom to learn how to go through it better. We want the quick fix a lot of times. I want the quick fix a lot of times. Then verses 9 and 11, he breaks it down and he kind of, he looks at two different people. I'm going to read that again. He says in verse 9, he says, the brother of humble circumstances is the glory in his high position. Verse 10, and the rich man is the glory in his humiliation because like flower and grass, he will pass away. So James says, why don't we observe two people that the Lord really wants us to understand? He says, first, let's look at, let's look at the poor man. And the poor man, he says, essentially, instead of wallowing in what you don't have, realize how rich you are in Christ Jesus. That's just a perspective shift right there. Instead of saying, Lord, why don't I have? It's saying, Lord, thank you for giving me what I do have. What do you want me to do with what I do have? Then he says in the rich man, be very cautious that you don't boast in all that you have and the riches and the things that you can do and the world that you can see because of your wealth. He says, instead, realize that life is about being humbled before the Savior who suffered on your part and went through the agonies of life on your behalf so that you do have some of these things, but it's never about these things. It's about, Lord, what will I do with these things because I am humbled to think of what had to happen for me to have these things. It's never about getting more. Verse 12 gives us the goal. James says, Blesses the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God promised to those that love him. Essentially, once it's all said and done and we take our last breath, whatever that last breath is, whenever that last breath is, it comes down to this. Has the inner man been changed from death or has the inner man been changed to life because of the Lord? You know, there will be people that cross the finish line of this life. Some people are going to crawl across the finish line, but they've been an absolute miserable Christian. They have just complained and grumbled and wondered, why am I going through all of this? Yet, they still are a believer, but they are finishing with so much bitterness and anger in their life. There are other people that are going to cross the finish line one day, and they're going to have joy in their life. They're going to be the people that said, Lord, why not me? Lord, what did you want me to learn through the process? What are you drawing out of me as I go through life? And as they cross the finish line, it's going to look like such a different finish. Because here's the truth. And James wraps these thoughts up in verses 13 to 18 with this thought. The story that we present the world matters. And the story that I present the world isn't one that I want to cross the finish line miserable, that I had so much pain in my life. 
I want to cross the finish line and point others to the Savior. So look what James says. Verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. So if our stories matter as we influence others, then we've got to understand that trials are just simply a part of life. We've got to understand that temptations are a part of life. We're going to go through financial issues that could cause us to doubt. There's a temptation to doubt that everything is as we prayed and felt it was. There's temptations that come out of the trials of marriage sometimes, that if we're not cautious and we don't love each other very well, our minds could begin to wander, and if we're not really, really cautious, our bodies can begin to wander to new experiences and different people. There's the trials of stress that we go through of everyday life, of trying to make ends meet and figure it all out. And if we're not cautious, we'll become very selfish people through temptation to pour something into our life to make ourselves feel better instead of going to the one that is going to carry us through it. So what James is saying here is not only are trials a part of life, not only are temptations a part of life, but he's saying, don't you dare say that it's God that is tempting you. What about that one time? Nope it, was ne- nope, it was never God that was tempting you. But what God was doing through the process, he always was and always is giving you an opportunity for growth in our life. It's us. It's us that allows our trials to transform into temptations. But temptation is still not the sin. He gives this really weird picture here. In verse 15, he says, it's kind of like this. I, I love James is very visual. He says, think about sin like this. It says, when, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. He gives us a picture of childbirth. It's kind of graphic when you think about it. He says, the conception of this is that desire. And that desire within begins to give birth to sin. And that sin, if we don't get that in check, that sin of what we think is going to bring us so much joy and happiness and all of, the things, all of those things in life, what we understand is that eventually it brings us zero joy and it gives us this visual of giving birth to a stillborn something that we thought was going to be so great and so much joy and then when it finally gives full birth we go that's not what I thought was going to happen there's no joy at that there's no joy when that's the end result I think about Scripture, and I think about how easily it is to be deceived. And man, I'm deceived all the time. I'm a number one idiot in most things in life. But something I've been trying to be very wise about is realizing that verse 16 and 17, James says, don't be deceived by the stuff that's around you. 
But do understand that there's a very real enemy. There is. There's a very real enemy in the world that we live in. If you believe in God, then you've got to believe in good. If you believe in good, you've got to believe that there's evil. And I promise you this, that as much as God has a plan for your life, evil has a plan for your life. In John 10.10, we're reminded that it's the devil that came to still kill and destroy, but the Lord who came to give us abundant life and joy as a result of that. So what I don't know is your stories. I know my story, and I know some of the people's stories that came with me from Florida, but I don't know what your struggle is, and I don't know the internal things that you're battling right now, but here's what I can be pretty clear on. I can be pretty clear on this fact right now, that right now in this room, there are some things probably internally that you're battling that probably need to be walked away from. Some struggles, some sin issues, some things that you've allowed to give birth to some problems in your life, there are some things that probably need to be walked away from right now. And for some of us, all of us, there's probably a good chance that we all need in some area of our life, there's a good chance that we need to take a step, a little harder step in the direction of Jesus. Now you fill in the blank for your life, whatever that is. Whether that's a greater step of faith in your life, a greater step of commitment in your life, whatever it is. Life is constantly about learning our steps under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit will give us very much clarity. Step away from this, step to this. And here's why. Because verse 18, to close the thought, he says, It was of his own will when he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Our team yesterday, we got to go to the farmer's market. What's the, the college campus? Where the, T, T, State University. Yeah. Incredible, man. I don't know if anyone's been to the farmer's market down there, but I love being there because the vendors are so excited about the product. You, you have those fresh vegetables and those fresh just everything. And what that is, that's a portion of those first fruits, those fruits of their labor. And they want to demonstrate those things. And they want you to love those things just the way that they do. And that's what the Lord is saying here. We are a kind of first fruits. The Lord wants to do a work in our life, and he wants to present us to the world, and he wants the world to say, wow, I get it, because we really do. If we understand that, and we understand why we go through the things of life, we understand that we have an incredible opportunity to tell the world a different story than they're hearing from culture. And Matt, I don't think you could have picked a better sermon series because we are in a desperate need, whether it be in Florida or here in Portland, for people to be eyeball to eyeball with us and say, tell me more about this Jesus. And if we're healthy in the process, I promise you, we're going to have some really good conversations. So from a guy that doesn't know a lot about you, I do want to pray for you. I just want to pray that, you know, through the reading of God's word, if something was stirred up, I'd encourage you. Don't just sit on it and say, eh, that's cool. Man, do something with it. Never just sit on those God moments in your life, all right? So let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to our sermons podcast. We hope it was helpful for you as you continue on the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. If you sense God doing something in you and would like to talk to one of us about it, or if you'd just like to learn more about what God is doing in our lives, please reach out to us over social media or email, or check out our website at sojournpdx.org. We look forward to hearing from you soon.